Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week we're focused on noise pollution and the harm it can cause. We begin with a noise most of our audience knows. If you spend any time in central Tucson, you're familiar with the sound of the A-10 attack plane from davis Monthan. The A-10s are not too bad because they're the quietest fighter jets that the Air Force has. That's Gary Hunter. He's lived near Glen and Elm for two decades. Fifteen years ago, they were fairly loud and bothersome, but since then, uh, the Air Force has raised the altitudes that they fly over and through the Midtown neighborhoods, so they're not too bad. But we also have F-16s going over. Those are twice as bad as the A-10s, and they are bothersome. And while he doesn't like the noise now, he's worried about what may come next, the F-35. The F-35s are going to be eight times as loud as the A-10s, are going to be four times as loud as the F-16s, and they're going to be absolutely intolerable. Davis Monthan is one of four bases currently in the running to get an F-35 squadron. At a recent public hearing, the Air Force met to explain the environmental impacts of basing the F-35 at Davis Monthan. Hamid Kamalpour is a civil engineer with the Air Force and is the program manager for the F-35's environmental impact statement. He says the Air Force had to do that study because there will be impacts. If this was not a significant impact, we would have just done environmental assessment and we would conclude it with finding of no significant impact. But in this case, because we have significant impact with the noise. Kamalpur said the Air Force knows the plane is louder than the current aircraft that fly in and out of davis Monthan, But he doesn't think that's too problematic. The noise is on the tail end of the their own ways, and it's not necessarily on anybody's houses. Those are not the answers many of those in attendance at the public meeting wanted to hear. They say the plane is simply too loud. Some put their complaints to verse. We demand that the Air Force use the proper tools to measure the real impact on ourselves, our homes, our schools. Not every person was as creative as the singing group, but like Manon Getze, who lives in central Tucson, they were passionate. She says when the F-35s visit now, she knows. When the F-35 flies over my home, my home shakes. I'm a block away from an elementary school, and all the car alarms go off at the elementary school. We're about a five to six minute drive from the U of A campus. Um, university professors are telling me they're having to stop their classes inside buildings when F-35s go over because they can't teach. How is that going to happen in Robinson Elementary School when they can't teach? She's lived in her home for 23 years and says she's worried about the future if the Air Force picks davis Monthan to house two dozen of the F-35s. I'm worried about my house becoming incompatible with residential living and me having to disclose that. I also haven't heard a thing about being given any compensation for windows that are rattling, which they do. The Air Force has heard the housing value argument before, and according to EIS program manager Kamalpur, that's covered in the study. Some people came in and said, said, hey, my house's value is going down because of the Air Force. No, we went and we checked and we found out 
the house's values are actually going up in the area. He says once the Air Force Secretary selects the new F-35 base, the military will tailor a noise mitigation plan for that location. Steve Christie with the Pima County Board of Supervisors says he has a short response to those who criticize the noise. I just say it's the sound of freedom. For those like Gary Hunter who disagree, there are only so many options. Well, I just hope we can win the battle uh, of the F-35s because Cheryl and I do not want to leave our neighborhood. It's a nice, quiet little neighborhood aside from the aircraft and we have a lot of neighbors who are real friends we enjoy that neighborhood so much, and I just don't know where else we would go. Public comments on the environmental impact statement can be submitted until March 31st. Noise pollution concerns aren't limited to the skies overhead. Karthik Talikar has been in a years-long battle to get relief from the sound of a data center located a half mile from his home in Chandler. After many complaints to city officials, police, and the company itself, he did manage to spur some changes to deal with the noise, which comes from chillers used to keep the server farm at the right temperature. Before that, Talikar says the noise was ever-present. Uh, the noise from the Cyrus One data center was a very annoying, disturbing noise. Uh, it was constant, 24 by 7, 365 days a year. It was like a very high-pitched, you know, e noise constantly. Uh, and sometimes, depending on the weather conditions, it'll increase in, in amplitude. Some days it'll be uh, muted, but uh, it was 24 by 7. Uh, as far as living with the noise, uh, it, it created a lot of anxiety, a lot of unknowns, and it was very disturbing uh, to, to just be uh, considered coming home from work or just going out uh, for a walk in the neighborhood or getting into the backyard to do gardening or even to do uh, grilling. Uh, it just made life impossible. Was it loud or was it just background noise, if you will, but an annoying sound? It was both loud and background and constant. That's why, that's the reason why many of us started uh, uh, to uh, look at uh, ways to mitigate it. So getting the data center to make the changes to mitigate it, that wasn't as simple as walking next door and asking your neighbor to turn the music down. Certainly not. We did attempt that. Uh, we did attempt uh, contacting people from the uh, Cyrus One data center and telling them of the problem we are facing and requesting them to uh, take actions to mitigate the noise, but that went nowhere. Uh, that's the reason we started uh, engaging with the city, Chandler City Council members, and we started calling the uh, uh, police, uh, complaining about it, and eventually meeting with the city manager, the mayor, etc. You did eventually get them to make a change. What was the change, and how long did that take? They did make some changes. Uh, the change, as described by the company officials to us, is that uh, they have put some kind of uh, envelope uh, on uh, the compressor and the pipes connecting to the compressors. No, they have a lot of chillers. You know, I don't remember the number exactly, but about 70, 70 plus chillers. Each chiller has a compressor and there are pipes uh, connecting to the compressor that move the fluids around. 
So I believe the, the compressors are the source of the noise and uh, the vibrations are passed on to the pipes that connect to the compressors. So as described to us, they put some kind of an envelope uh, around the compressor and the pipes connecting to it such that the vibrations are minimized or they have tried to minimize or reduce the vibrations so that we don't hear the noise. So did it work? On many days, we don't hear the noise, but when we hear the noise, we hear it really badly. So I would say that it has worked about 60% of the time, but the rest 40% it is not. Uh, the solution uses what is called as ambient noise. Um, and they're using ambient noise to mask uh, the noise from the chillers. So on days where the ambient noise is low, we hear the chillers come back online, or we hear the chiller noise. And the ambient noise is basically transportation noise and urban noise. So on Saturday nights or Sunday nights, when the ambient noise is low, we'll hear this thing. So there's no break. We hear a lot about noise being detrimental to health. Did you notice any changes in your health once this noise began? Absolutely. First thing is the level of anxiety increases. Uh, uh, the level of helplessness increases. That leads to a number of... Uh, 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 things, sleeplessness, uh, increase in blood pressure, um, inability to focus um, constantly. Yeah, you know, uh, these are all uh, things that are not good for the health, right? In my case, uh, certainly I saw increase in blood pressure. And since uh, the attenuation has occurred uh, of 60% of the time, um, I can go data-driven is that my blood pressure is low has lowered, I do want it to go more down because I'm still having uh, PTSD. And what I call on those days where uh, the ambient noise is low and I hear the chillers, the BP goes up again. So what's the solution to keep this from happening in other neighborhoods and communities around Arizona or around the country for that matter? The first and most important thing is for the city planners to be very informed in making the decision. Okay. It is the city planners who I believe uh, worked with the Cyrus Fund representatives to just about calculate everything required to make this uh, data center reality. For example, the water requirement, uh, the power requirement, the sewage uh, requirements, et cetera, et cetera. But they did not consider the noise and environmental impact on humans or even the animals in that area. So the city planners had to recognize the noise element and impact of humans, not just the power and water requirements. It begins there. The environmental impact of bringing in one such data center and the types of equipment they're going to be using, these things have to be considered before uh, they begin to uh, permit uh, uh, the, 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 not just a, a data center or anything of its nature. And I believe uh, the planning process failed in this case. It was clearly a poor planning. Even if, uh, uh, further continuing, even if they had known about it, they, neg they neglected it. They meaning the city planners. I'm sure there are some out there who, for example, we hear down in Tucson with the Air Force Base when people complain about the noise. People, some people will say, well, that's just the sound of freedom. I'm sure there are some out there who, when they hear your story, say, well, that's just the sound of technology. We need to learn to live with that. How do you answer them? Yes, we need uh, technology. 
uh, yes, we need um, um, ways to keep our data secure. We also need to ensure that those things don't impact human beings' lives or the lives of animals, just like um, uh, environmental pollution, right? Uh, what was true 50, uh, 100 years ago to put out uh, carbon uh, dioxide and uh, all these greenhouse uh, uh, gases is not acceptable today. Similarly, we are much more wiser today that we need technology, but we also need to make sure that it is not impacting the humans who live next to it or around the area uh, negatively. So uh, to those who say that this is technology, get over it, we need to live with it, I think they are going uh, uh, in the wrong path. They're taking the attitude that we need greenhouse gases to generate electricity just like 100 years ago, that's not the case. You know, we, the technology should also mean that it's not impacting green technology. Do you have a hard time convincing people that the noise from a data center is a problem because it isn't loud like an airplane or a rock concert? Uh, my answer to that is very, very clear, okay? Unless somebody experiences this noise firsthand, they come and uh, live next door, spend an hour or two, they're not going to be able to uh, relate to the problems that people who live next to the data center are facing. But, uh, for example, several times we call the police officers, right? Uh, they come in, they stand there for about two or three minutes and say, oh, no, there's nothing. They make a subjective decision. That, in fact, is not true because about 300 families have complained about the data center noise because we live next to it, it's constant. It's not a two-minute thing. It's not a three-minute thing. We're not making a big issue out of nothing. It really is a problem. Well, thank you for talking with us and explaining your experience. You're most welcome. That was Karthik Taliker of Chandler discussing noise pollution around his home as a result of nearby data centers. You're listening to The Buzz. We're talking about noise pollution this week. After hearing from the public about concerns related to noise pollution, we ask noise pollution expert Richard Neitzel to help us understand some of the basics. He's a public health scientist at the University of Michigan. Neitzel says, at its simplest, noise pollution is unwanted or harmful sound in the environment around us. It doesn't have to be loud or even especially bothersome to be harmful. So low-level sound that's well within our tolerance or ability to cope with can still be causing harm, for example, to our cardiovascular system, even if it's not hurting our ears. Okay, you just mentioned the cardiovascular system, obviously very important. What are some of those negative health impacts of noise pollution? Unfortunately, as we continue to study noise, we're connecting it to more and more health outcomes. So traditionally, of course, we've linked noise to noise-induced hearing loss. That's kind of a no-brainer. But I would say in the last two decades, there's been this emerging and now quite strong body of evidence connecting noise to hypertension, high blood pressure, to myocardial infarction, heart attacks, to strokes, uh, and also to mental health outcomes and impacts basically on our cognition. And I would say each year we advance, we're learning more and more about new emerging health impacts in addition to those. I'm not a doctor and many of our listeners are not doctors. How does noise pollution, especially not loud, surprising noises, cause a heart attack? 
So we think there's actually two ways that noise might be linked to heart attacks. So the first is we know that if your sleep is disrupted, that's a very strong predictor of adverse cardiovascular impacts. We also know, again, this is pretty intuitive, that if you're trying to sleep in noise, that's going to tend to interrupt your sleep, putting you at greater risk for cardiovascular disease. And it doesn't have to be noise that's loud enough to wake you. In fact, it turns out that while you can cognitively tune out noise, your autonomic nervous system, uh, which is responsible for your flight or flight response, uh, is always listening for noise. So even if noise isn't quite bringing you to waking during your sleep, it can still absolutely be impacting your cardiovascular system. However, we also see increases in cardiovascular disease in workers, and most people don't get paid to sleep. So we assume these people are actually doing something during the day or night when they're working. And the theory here is that noise is also a general stressor on our system. So if you're in a sustained noisy environment, that's going to tend also to activate this fight or flight response. And that, again, can lead to a cascade of events that can ultimately result in a heart attack or other outcomes. Are these effects short-term or are they long-term? If you get away from that noise source, will the effects be reversed? So uh, unfortunately, we know that noise-induced hearing loss is irreversible. So once you've had enough exposure to develop a permanent hearing loss, there's no reversing that loss. With regards to the cardiovascular outcomes, I would say the science is a little less settled. You know, we know, for example, that if you quit smoking, your lungs can recover over time to uh, be like virtually new after a sufficient time. What we don't know is if you remove yourself from noise, if any of that cardiovascular damage that has accrued, uh, if that damage will actually recover or if it's permanent. So we need to do more research on that particular uh, topic. I know from when I was younger and my mom used to, uh, shall we say, counsel me to turn my stereo down, uh, that hearing loss can show up fairly quickly. But can some of these other health effects show up quickly or do you need a longer term exposure? Good question. So with noise, uh, there's always a couple of dimensions of your exposure that we need to consider. One is how loud is the noise. And the other one is how often are you exposed and how long are you exposed when that exposure occurs. So with a really, really high level of sound, some of these impacts, hearing loss and cardiovascular impacts, could happen over a relatively short amount of time. But if you're exposed at a lower level for a longer period, you may still end up at that same point where you've developed these outcomes. So we can't really say um, that you would have a very short-term exposure and an immediate uh, health outcome because that's dependent on the level. Likewise, we can't say, well, just because you were exposed for years, you're going to be uh, made sick because we don't, um, again, have an understanding maybe of the level you were exposed at. So we really need to understand both of those parameters before we can connect noise to an impact on a, a single person's health. In fact, it turns out that the amount of decibels you're exposed to is very important in terms of uh, predicting your likely health outcomes. So if we think about hearing loss, again, kind of the premier health outcome we associate with noise, if you're exposed for eight hours a day at 85 decibels, that's about as loud as a gas-powered lawnmower, if you're exposed at that level for years, you would be at risk of noise-induced hearing loss. On the other hand, if we come down to a lower level of 70 decibels, which is about as loud as a vacuum, 
vacuum cleaner. If you're exposed at that level on average for 24 hours a day for the rest of your life, we believe that's basically the highest level you can safely be exposed to with no risk of hearing loss. Going down the scale even further, though, we're increasingly seeing evidence that between 50 and 60 decibels as a 24-hour exposure, you may have increased risk of heart attacks and hypertension, and even lower levels than that in a classroom setting can result in adverse impacts on learning among children, for example. So there's not one safe level for any particular health outcome, uh, which is even more troubling when we consider all these new health outcomes that we're recently identifying and associating with noise exposure. Is there an age it affects more than others or demographic that tends to be more affected by noise pollution than others? I, so I would say from what we know uh, in the scientific literature and what I've done in my own studies, uh, noise appears to be relatively impartial in terms of uh, who it will impact, um, with the exception of children. So we often hold up children as being pretty much the most vulnerable and susceptible uh, human population out there. And I would argue the same holds for noise. We don't necessarily know that their hearing system, for example, is more sensitive to noise, but we do know that if they incur a hearing loss at a young age, that's going to impact them for the rest of their life. So a much bigger burden than someone who develops a noise-induced hearing loss in their 40s, for example. So I would argue that we should always be extremely conservative when we're talking about noise exposure among children. Uh, but otherwise, uh, regardless of gender or race or ethnicity, um, if you're exposed at a sufficient level, you will be at some risk of these health outcomes. Where are some of the worst places for this, or, or maybe who are the worst aggressors when it comes to creating noise pollution? Well, historically, uh, we've looked to the workplace as being sort of the highest, most egregious exposures to noise. So the Industrial Revolution brought many things with it, though, was industrial noise pollution. However, in recent decades, we've shifted away uh, where now there are certainly still quite noisy jobs out there that are absolutely harming people's health every day. But now we have the capability to create exposures to things like music that can rival uh, workplace exposures in terms of intensity and duration. So I would say uh, in terms of examples of sources of noise that could be potentially harmful, we have workplaces absolutely, but it's also possible that the music that you're playing through your headphones could potentially be harmful, and the concerts that you're going to, if you go regularly, uh, could be harmful as well. In addition, we know that uh, sources of noise in communities like airports and highways uh, and seaports can create a high enough level of background noise where, again, they increase some of these cardiovascular impacts, even if they're not quite loud enough to produce hearing loss, for example. Some of the folks we have talked to on this show are dealing with noise from a server uh, farm, if you will, uh, technology changes, and the, the coolers, uh, the cooling units on those server farms, which are a distance from their neighborhood, but they saw problems within their neighborhood with noise pollution as a result of that. Is it not just decibels, but also maybe frequencies? 
It's a great question. So what we know about the impacts of noise directly on human health is really all pinned to this unit decibels. So a measure of how intense the sound is. We measure those decibels um, weighting the different frequencies that are contained within a noise. And we refer to those decibels that are weighted as A-weighted decibels or DBA. And virtually all of our understanding that connects noise exposures to human health is based on these DBA measurements. So, so that's our understanding from an epidemiological perspective, but from an annoyance perspective, things like frequency and how much control a person has over their noise exposure, how predictable the exposure is, how routine or regular it is, all of those things absolutely influence annoyance. And so I would expect for uh, server farm noise, as you describe, if that noise is at a particular frequency and it's occurring irregularly or at night, for example, all of those things are very likely to trigger an annoyance response in someone who lives nearby. Is this something that governments, be it city, county, state, even the federal government, need to start to address? So in the 1970s, the U.S. government, via the Environmental Protection Agency, actually established an Office of Noise Abatement and Control. So 50 years ago, this country recognized that noise was a public health hazard and actually funded an office to research and do something about this problem. Unfortunately, about 10 years after it was established, that office was defunded. The laws they passed and the research they did, they're still on paper, but unfortunately there's nobody home at that office. That has largely left cities and states and and local governments to deal with this issue on their own. Unfortunately, they don't have the resources or the preparation to do so adequately. So one of the things this country could do to make a giant step forward in addressing this problem at a national level would be to give the EPA the funding they need to reopen this office so we can have a central coordinating agency that could provide guidance and resources to local and state governments to help them better address this problem. And make no mistake, this is a public health problem. Thanks for chatting with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. I'm so glad to hear that you're giving attention to this very important but under-recognized problem. That was Richard Neitzel, a public health scientist and associate professor at the University of Michigan. And that's the buzz for this week. We know this is a time of uncertainty and encourage you to get information from trusted sources. AZPM is keeping our community up to date on news related to the coronavirus pandemic. You can find all those stories on our website, azpm.org. Next week, we'll bring you a special show about how our community is responding to school closures, takeout only restaurants, and social distancing. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. And Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.